series called The Chosen, he knows that he's speaking to the Son of God, to Jesus. And when he stands up and he's getting ready to leave, he just collapses. And he collapses into the arms of Christ and he begins to weep and Jesus just wraps his arms around him. In the moment you and I step into heaven, I believe in that moment, absent from the body, listen, present with the Lord. It doesn't say present in heaven. It doesn't talk about family, seeing family. It says present with the Lord. And that's what you and I need to remember. So let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, and Lord, we love you and we praise you. Lord, you receive all the honor and glory, and Lord, one day you will wrap your arms around us, and Lord, we will just collapse into the loving, precious arms of a Savior who died for us. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for the intimacy of those words and what they mean. And Lord, it's not a matter of blessing. It's not a matter of anything that we can get out of you. It's just the, it's just the fellowship, the kononia in the Greek, the intimacy that we enjoy with our Savior. Lord, we ask you now to open up our hearts to your word. Lord, cleanse me, forgive me. Let me be a tool in your hand. And Lord, even as we take this moment to pray, I want everyone to listen. Because Lord, I'm not only thankful for you, but I'm thankful for this church. And I'm thankful, dear Lord, for the people who run the sound and do all that they do. I'm thankful for the praise team behind me who works so, to, dear Lord, to bring us into the very throne room of God through the, through the music and the songs that we sing. I'm thankful, dear Lord, that our sound and communication team, dear Lord, so effectively puts this into a way that people who are unable to attend church still are able to attend. I thank you, dear Lord, for the sweet people who take care of children and take them out and pour into their hearts and into their lives, often themselves wishing that they could just stay in this assembly. I'm thankful for Marge and Jerry and so many that, dear Lord, make Wednesday night possible for us to be able to eat in the fellowship around a bowl of soup. I'm thankful, dear Lord, for the Kanyas and the Bells and those people that will put those clothes together and get them away, get them ready for the homeless. I'm thankful, dear Lord, for every member of this church, many who drive back in, many who faithfully serve, many who come out of this community to plant their life in this church. Lord, I'm thankful today for the people that we are surrounded by. So, Lord, as a pastor... I want everyone to know that I love them and I'm thankful for them this time of the year and always. And I never take it for granted. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want you to remain standing. Children will begin to make their way to worship. And uh, we are thankful for Bethany and those that so faithfully lead the kids. And... uh, so we're going to give them an opportunity to leave. While they're doing that, I'm going to open my water and take a sip. I go to an ear, nose, and throat doctor who decided that I needed to um, spend some time with a speech therapist, speech pathologist. Uh, she is a sweet person. Um, come to 
love her, her family, even though I've not met her husband, her son, her daughter, and some of those. But she, I walked in for speech therapy this past week. She had this big smile on her face. Her name is Lisa. She said, uh, we watched you on live stream. And uh, she's doing everything uh, from watching how many times I drank water while I'm speaking, even counting the number of words between breaths. And um, so I'm learning a lot about how to use my voice. And, and, uh, you, but my point is, you never know who's watching. But let me tell you who is always watching you and I. That's Jesus Christ. And so uh, I want you to take your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 24. And we've talked about this um, this, these two words called life inventory. Life inventory. You remember we said this, that sometimes you and I will come to crisis. We will come to difficulties in our life. And in those moments, we have to do what? We have to do a life inventory. You know, last week at the end, at the very end, a lot of times people will end before the end of the last prayer. But I was riding home with Ledge and Alicia, and Alicia said, you know, that last illustration pretty well said it all. So let me begin with that. Uh, last week, I told you the story of a little boy. I think he was in Central Park. And a businessman was coming through the park. And this little boy was standing there, and he was crying on the bank. And his little sailboat was out into the water. You remember that story? And, and the businessman, realizing that the boy was upset because he could no longer reach his boat, his boat, had the wind had pulled it out a little too far away. And so the businessman said, son, don't cry. Let, let me help you. And he pulled his jacket off and he reached down. He grabbed up some rocks and he began to throw these rocks on the other side of the boat. The little boy pulled and tugged at his pant legs and said, sir, he began to cry even more. He said, sir, you're going to sink my sailboat businessman said son just trust me and he kept throwing those rocks and as he did the ripple and the movement of the water began to bring the boat back to finally it was into the hands of the little boy and the little boy looked up and said thank you sir and went running off and we said this that sometimes storms difficulties crisis in our life in the life of a child of God you and I is a sovereign God who's taking those storms and he's using them to draw us back into a level of intimacy and fellowship that we've lost. Right? In fact, James said this. He said, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing this, that the testing of your faith bringeth perseverance, patience. God is doing things in the storms of life, right? And we, and we use two words there, life inventory. So I want you to look, Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 24. Now Jesus is ending the most famous sermon that has ever been preached. And he comes to the conclusion of it. He's drawing it to a close. He said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine 
and puts them into practice. It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down. The streams rose. The winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because why? Because it had its foundation on the on the rock. Jesus said in Matthew 16, he said, I am the rock, Petros. Now let's read on verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a what? It's like a foolish man who built his house on what? Sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Let's pray together again. Lord, we love you. We give you glory for everything. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now, you and I said that in life, storms of crisis are going to come. It's just a matter of time. James didn't say count it all joy if you fall into various trials. James said count it all joy when you fall. It's, it's part of life. Jesus said it, right? In the world you'll have what? Tribulation. You're going to have troubles, crisis, storms. Difficulties are going to come in your life, and they're going to come in mine. And sometimes, listen, those storms are simply to draw us back to a level of intimacy with Christ that we've lost. And I want you to listen. Sometimes storms, difficulties, and crises in life, they come to cause us to reevaluate our life, right? To begin to realize what really, what really is important. I've been reading a book. It's called The Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban. It's written by a man by the name of John Taltes. John Talty. He writes about Nick Saban, the Hall of Fame quarterback, I mean the Hall of Fame coach for Alabama. He writes of Nick Saban, Coach Saban. He says there was a young man by the name of Alti Tenpenny. He was from Little Rock, Arkansas. You, he was a U.S. Army All-American. He was one of the nation's top running backs. He was drafted by Saban in Alabama. But this young man, Tenpenny, he struggled with college life. He struggled with competing with a roster of top running backs across the United States. He had marijuana charges. He got in trouble. He began to miss practice. And finally, he left Coach Saban in Alabama. He transferred to UNLV. He lasted a few months there. He was kicked off that team. He resurfaced at a school, Nick, uh, Nickel State in Louisiana. Again, he ran into trouble. He never played the game. He dropped out, and on his way home back to Arkansas, he was killed on Highway 1 in Mississippi. Listen to what the team, listen to what Alabama said. They said of Nick Saban that this was inventory time for Coach Saban. Anyway, the loss of Tenpenny, this promising young man, 
They went on to make this statement. Talty said this. He said, The loss of Tenpenny greatly impacted Saban. He felt guilty for not doing more, for not finding a way to save this young man who had so much promise and so much of a future. Coach Saban paid for the funeral of Tenpenny, and players said this of the Crimson Tide. They said, after Tenpenny died, Coach Saban became a nurturing father that 98% of us on that team needed. Wow. Sometimes storms come in life. Sometimes storms come through other people. But the reality is, is that life sometimes teaches us that we need to, we need to basically, what we need to do is we need to take inventory. In other words, we said this as a parent, you're teaching your children. What you want to teach your children is when they get hit by a storm, a crisis, a difficulty, what you want to teach them to do is everybody watching say amen. You want, you want to say to your child, first of all, get down on your knees. And you want to do a life inventory means that the first thing you're going to teach your child is you're teaching your child, and you and I are as well, saying, is this my fault? Is this a me storm, a storm that I have created? In other words, is this the result of poor choices that I have made that have resulted in what I'm going through right now? Does everybody understand that? Is this a God storm or a me storm, right? In other words, we looked last week at a me storm. What's a me storm? You may say, well, wait a minute. God created that storm that, that stopped Jonah. That's true. But Jonah was in a storm that he made, right? You remember God told Jonah, he said, listen, Jonah, he said, I want you to go to Nineveh, that capital of the Assyrian Empire, and I want you to preach, I want you to preach judgment. I want you to go preach to the city of Nineveh. And what did Jonah do? Jonah went that 180. He went the opposite direction. In other words, the Bible says this in Jonah chapter 1, that he was running from God. In fact, in Jonah chapter 1, let me read it. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now listen to this next Think for a moment. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. Wow. In other words, what we have to learn is that sometimes you and I go through crisis and difficulty storms that are our own fault. It's real quiet. Let me tell you something. There have been some times in my life that I've gone through some storms, difficulties, when things have not worked. Hey, in fact, when things are not working out in my life, you know what your pastor does? I immediately go, uh-oh, God, am I living in willful disobedience to what I know your word and your will is for my life? Because I want to get that sorted out. Because, listen, God will begin to bring discipline into your life. Is this storm my fault? Is, these, is this the result of poor choices that I have made? Jonah rebelled against God. He created this storm. You may say, no, God created it. Yes, it was like, a, in the Hebrew, it was like a javelin. 
God sees Jonah going in the wrong direction outside of his will, outside of his word, his revealed word. So what does God do? In the Hebrew, he throws a storm like a javelin straight at Job. I mean, at Jonah. Why is he doing that? To turn Jonah around. Jonah rebelled against the express will of God. Then he had to repent. You remember? God sent a great fish. That fish swallowed him. Jonah came under conviction. Jonah said, I've, I, God, I'm sorry. I'm wrong. He repented. And ultimately, he turned around, around and he returned to God. Let me give you some critical keys. Parents. Hey, listen, you don't have to teach your kids this. And you can watch them flop and fl flounder through life. But I can tell you this much, if you will model this as well as teach this to your children, when you're in a crisis, when you're in a difficulty, when you're in a storm, when things are going wrong, I'm going to do this right here. If it is my fault and I know it's my fault, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to confess. John 1.9 that means homologeo. That means to say the same thing as God's been trying to tell me through His Word, through the fellowship of other believers, if I'm listening to anybody else. Most of us, when we're defiant, rebellious, and going against God's Word and against God's will, guess what? We tune out all those people. Hey, I don't want to hear it. But to confess means that I say, God, I agree with you, you're right, I'm wrong, and I confess that I made a mistake, I messed up. Let me tell you, some of us with grown children, we need to go sit down and we need to say to our child, hey, listen, it, your fault as a human being, your fault or your failure is my failure to be the parent I should have been to you. And I want to ask you to forgive me. And now you have to take responsibility for your life. You can't spend your life saying it is mom or dad's fault. You have to be responsible now. So listen, number one, we're going to confess. Number two, we're going to repent. Metanoia. It's a Greek word that means I've got a change of mind. God now has told me, you're outside my will. You're living in disobedience to my word. And I'm not going to stand for it. Listen, God says, I'll do whatever I have to do to stop you. And in that moment, he's looking for repentance, which means this, a change of mind before there can be a change of heart. All of a sudden, I go, God, I agree with you. God, I'm sorry. I repent. And then listen, I return, which means now I'm trying to figure out what I need to do in this storm to correct my part in it. What did Jonah do in a me storm? Jonah confessed, he repented, and he went back to Nineveh. And he did what God had called him to do. Some people, hey, listen, some of you, some of you you'll never learn that lesson because you're going to spend all your life blaming everybody else. That's what you're going to do. It's everybody else's fault. I'm just the victim. But that wasn't true. So a critical, uh, what is critical is that a me storm requires three elements for you and I to correct it. We've got to confess, it requires repentance, 
and it requires us to return. But I want everybody to look this way. Sometimes I've been in storms that were not due to disobedience. Listen, they were due to obedience. I was doing the will of God, doing what God had called me to do, doing, living in obedience to His Word, and listen, all hell was breaking loose. I'm in a crisis. I'm in a difficulty. I'm in a storm. So I want you to take a right from Matthew, and I want you to look at, we've looked at this before, but I want you to look at Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 35. Because here we have a storm, and it's not because the disciples are living in disobedience. In fact, they're living in obedience to Christ. They do exactly what the Lord... And we're going to call this a God storm. Okay? Because sometimes we're going to teach our children this. You're going to, hey, listen, sometimes you're going to say to your child, listen, you're going to be trying to do God's will, living according to His Word. You're going to be, you're going to be doing exactly what God wants you to do. And listen, things are, you're, all of a sudden you're going to be in a storm or a crisis that is not your fault. It's not that you're doing something wrong. Listen, everybody look this way. It's because you're doing what God wants you to do. You're doing what is right. Listen, Job was under the attack of Satan not because of disobedience to God, but because of obedience. Job was the, a righteous man, blameless. God was bragging on him. Job went through a storm because it was a tool of the enemy. Hear me, sometimes you and I find ourselves in a storm that is not our fault. So look at, Matt, look at Mark chapter 4. I love this. And let me take a sip of water. Mark chapter 4, beginning at 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, that is Jesus, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. And the waves broke over the boat. Now this, listen, everybody look this way. On one side of the Sea of Galilee are mountains that rise up to 3,000 feet. On the other side, 1,500. A storm, either winter or summer. And the winter storms, and we believe this was in the winter, are unbelievably, they're just unbelievable and they can come up in a moment. So listening to a friend of mine, Dr. Ron Herod, he was talking about being on the Sea of Galilee, standing out on the bow, when all of a sudden he said it was just a matter of a few moments. It seemed like seconds that the storm just became violent. I mean, it, the water became violent. He said, he said we went running back to the, to the stern. We thought we were getting ready to die. And Dr. Ron Herod, the pastor of First Baptist Kenner, where I used to go to church, Dr. Ron Herod said in that moment, he said, I thought about this event right here. So Mark says, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Verse 38, Jesus was in the stern. What was he doing? He was sleeping. 
He was sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? You remember what we said? We said, when you and I get worried and anxious, we get mean. You remember Martha? Lord, don't you care that I'm in there doing all the work while my sister sits here? Make her get up and come in there and help me. You see, she was not only mad at Martha was not only mad at Mary, she was mad at Jesus. She was being short with Jesus. Well, I thought she invited Jesus to come fellowship in her home. Now she's mad at him. Don't you don't, don't you care if we drown? He got up. Don't you love this? rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. I love this next verse. It's one of my favorite in all the Bible. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid, anxious, worried, troubled? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey Him. You see, I, I wrote this down. First of all, and you've heard me say this a lot of times, anytime I come to this passage, in verse 35, it, Jesus, what's the first two words He says to the disciples? He said, Let us. In other words, the disciples, this, was not, this storm was not the result of disobedience. Sometimes obedience equals storm. You can get ready. Now, God ordained this. This was the sovereign hand of God. God is leading. Jesus Christ, everybody look, He is leading His disciples into a storm. He knows the storms out there. He's leading them into it. Why? Why does He allow you and I to go through difficulties, trials, and storms? I want to give you some reasons. Number one, because sometimes there's enemy territory, enemy territory to be taken. Look at chapter 5, Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, the Gadarenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet Him. I wrote this down. Listen to this. The enemy, may, the enemy may have some territory that God is getting ready to take. Let me read it again. The enemy may have some territory that he knows God is getting ready to take and he doesn't give it up without a fight. Did you hear? When Jesus told the disciples, he said, let us go over to the other side. He knew that there would be a storm in the Sea of Galilee. Why? Because he's going into enemy territory. He knows there's a man possessed by what? What does he say when he asks, what's, what's your name? And the legion said, the demons said, legions. Meaning thousands. Hey, listen, he's going to a territory called the, Gad, the Gadarean, the Gerasenes. He's going to a territory where they love pigs more than they love people. I thought Jews didn't eat pork. He's going to an area when he heals this man, you know what the people do? They go out there and you know what they do? They get together with Jesus and you know what they say? Would you please leave our community? 
you're getting in the way of business. Listen, I want you to stay with me here. Sometimes the storm comes in your life and in my life because either the, be either the enemy has territory in my life that God is getting ready to take back and there's going to be a fight or either you're going into enemy territory whether it's in the life of a friend in the life of a family or whatever it may be you're going into that home you're going into the enemy's territory to take it back you can get ready there's going to be a fight now let me read it again the enemy may have some territory that god's getting ready to take back in your life i wrote in the lives of those you love in the lost of the community have you ever thought about this? When you get ready to go out and tell somebody about Jesus, you come up with a thousand excuses, right? Have you ever realized that when you're sitting there with somebody and the Holy Spirit is saying, this is the opportunity, you can bring me up right now. Why don't you talk about Jesus and you come up with a thousand reasons why not to? You don't think you have a spiritual enemy called Satan that's trying to keep you from taking his territory? There's a, there's a principle here. To take the enemy's territory, you will usually have to go through a storm. This storm is a demonic attempt to keep this boat and its passengers from Satan's territory. He didn't want them to land. And guess what? When Jesus speaks to the storm... He uses the same words that he spoke in Mark 1 to the, to the demons. Shut it up. He talks to the wind and waves as if it is demonically possessed and says this, muzzle it, literally, muzzle it, shut it up. Quiet. See like glass. So sometimes you and I go through a God storm because God's simply going to do some things in your life for somebody else's. He takes you, the enemy will not give up his territory without a fight. Secondly, sometimes it reveals weaknesses in our faith. You see, sometimes you and I have to understand that storms, difficulties, trials that come in life are for the strengthening of our faith, right? You've heard me say it so many times. Chuck Swindoll said that a faith that is not worth testing is not worth trusting. He went on to say, listen, your faith is like a muscle that God is developing and strengthening and he can only do it through the storms and the trials and the difficulties that are coming into your life. The song said, if I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that he could solve them. If life was just always a... TV evangelist, TV preacher type idea of health and wealth uh, theology that they preach on TV. If life was really the Joel Osteen, Creflo Dollar, Benny Hinn, or whatever those guys who, who talk about wealth and health and God wants you healthy, God wants you wealthy. If that were the case, if my life was filled with nothing but wealth and health, when would I ever need the Lord? If I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that he could solve them. Sometimes my faith, I have to say, is so shallow, anxiety, worry, fear creeps into my life. Worry crowds out faith. Right? 
Again, there's a principle here. Faith is a muscle that must be tested. It must be put under stress, under pressure, under weight in order to build it and to strengthen it. Sometimes you're going to say to your son or daughter or somebody that you, you love, you're going to look at them and say, I don't think this is your fault. I think it's because I see you seeking to live in obedience to the will of God and the Word of God. I'm seeing God doing great things in your life, and I'll be honest with you, you're either dabbling in the enemy's territory and he's declared war against you, or either there's some things in your life right now, faith-wise, that God's wanting to develop. I want people, when I'm hurting who have been through the fire. And if they've not been through the fire, then in some ways... Jeremiah 12.5 says this. I love this. If you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? You know what God's saying? If you can't run with men, how in the world are you going to be able to run with horses? He went on to say, Jeremiah said, if you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? Hey, let me tell you, when you're sitting in a traffic jam in a third world country run by Marxist militants, and you look up there and you realize your wife is up there at the roadblock and, her, and people are standing around her with machine guns and they're treating her like a piece of crap, in that moment you get out of your vehicle, you are taking your life into your hands. You are banking on the fact, God, you had me in Zimbabwe. You had me in this moment. You're sovereign enough and strong enough to guard me as I go and confront this. And I go up there and I ask the question, Mune Mutambuziko, Ere. Do you have a problem? And then I look at Sheila and say, Burai, Go. Move, go. She says, I'm worried for you. Don't worry about me. You go. I'm going to tell you, fear guides too much of what we do rather than faith. Many of these streets, many people in this community need to hear the gospel, and you and I are not in any way, we are not in any way bothered by the guns or the threats against our life. We are boldly taking the gospel. And if we can't, how can we run with horses when we can't even walk with men? I love this, and I know we've got to close, but storms reveal the power of God. Look at this. Look at verse 39. He got up. Now, hey, listen, let me, everybody look this way. He's in the back of the boat, and this is what, he, this is what he's doing. Because in the, in the back of the boat, we found these boats. Archaeologically, we've, we've actually I've seen remnants of these boats that, where they've, they've discovered them. He's at, the, he's, at the, he's at the stern, which means he's in the rear of the boat, and they had the rope. They would often, the rope and the netting, they would bundle up into a ball. Sometimes there would be a chair there. This is Jesus. Now, Peter, who's telling Mark this, said that the wind and the waves were so bad that the water was coming over the bow of the boat, coming into the boat. 
wind, these, 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 some of them are seamen. They, they, they've made their living on the sea. They're, going, they're frightened to death. Peter, James, and John are all fishermen. They, they've been there before. This is Jesus. I don't know about you, but I guess I would be a little annoyed too. Verse 39, he stands up, he says, Muzzle it. And immediately, and let me, let me give you a principle here. They would not have known his power without the storm. You and I are teaching our children that sometimes when they're in a crisis and a difficulty and a storm, what we're saying to our kids is this. Sometimes that's God. Sometimes that's a God storm. Sometimes it's not because you're doing wrong. You're disobedient. Sometimes it's because you're in the will of God, living out the word of God. And because of that, there's a storm in your life, but God's doing some things in your life that he otherwise could not do. God is developing and strengthening your faith. Hey, listen, and God's getting ready to reveal himself in a way you've never experienced him before. Storms sometimes are a sovereign God looking at us and going, you ain't seen nothing yet. Right? And you know what the disciple, and there's a principle here. You and I cannot know the power of God without the storm. They would have never known it. It was only in the storm that they begin to realize, wow, what are they doing? He stands up and he, listen, here he is. He's asleep. You see it. They have to go over there. He's comatose. He's out. They have to wake him. And they say, don't you care that we're about to drown? Listen, he gets up. He doesn't say a word. He walks to the bow of the boat where the wind and the waves are coming at him. In a storm that's frightened these native seasoned fishermen, he walks out to the bow of the boat and he says two words, muzzle it. Shut it up. Like glass. Winds dead silent. Peter, James, and John. What, what manner of man is this? That the wind and the waves obey him. This is not a this is God. You and I will never, ever understand until we begin to see our storms through a sovereign hand of God by which He's strengthening our faith and revealing Himself in ways we've never experienced Him before. And you know that. I was in England, I was sick. Tropical Disease Center was trying to figure out what was wrong. And I was alone in a hospital in England. Sheila wasn't there, the kids weren't there. I was by myself alone, they were doing tests on me. They wheeled me into this room to do some tests and they walked out of this room and they left me. And to be honest with you, as I laid on that table, tears were trickling down my cheeks. And I was thinking, God, what's wrong with me? 
I was skin and bones. I was so thin. I was so thin that they sent me to Mayo Clinic. I was so thin that I wore, I wore shorts under my suit pants to hold my pants up. I was so thin that when I got to the airport and my dad and mom saw me, they began to cry. I looked almost skeletal. I was so thin in such bad health that the British doctor came, sat down in our home and said, if you don't go home, you're going to die. In that room alone, in that hospital, God is my witness. Tears trickling down my cheeks in a storm I didn't understand. A storm that was not because of disobedience, but obedience. A storm because I was in God's will as best I could doing what God had called me to do. In that moment, in that place, I'll never forget, I can see it right now, the overwhelming presence of God filled that room. Just filled it. It was as if Jesus walked in there. He was standing there. And there was a very clear peace that descended and immediately calmed me. And I've never, ever forgotten it. Sometimes you and I go through storms and difficulties in our life that are not our fault, not, our po- not choices we've made. Sometimes a storm is God's will. Sometimes God is doing some things in your life that you'll look back later and you'll go, wow, if it hadn't have been for that storm, I wouldn't be the person I am today, right? And if it wasn't for that storm, I would have never seen the power of God to step into my situation and do what only He could do. He loves you. He wanted me to tell you that. He told me to tell all of you that. He loves you, every one of you. He loves you. And if you're watching on live stream, He loves you too. He's got a plan for your life. And it may get rocky sometimes. It may be difficult. But oh, it's on. Do you know Him? Have you given your life to Him? Is He living here? Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to You, and Lord, we thank You that You love us. And Lord, I may have went a little long today, but Lord, this is such a critical time as we look at life inventory and we realize that sometimes this is not a Jonah storm. It's not a me storm. It's not something that I've created. It's not due to disobedience. It's not due to me rebelling and being outside the will of God. Sometimes it is a Job kind of storm. It's a disciple in the boat kind of storm when we are cognitive that it's because we are living in obedience. The disciples forgot the peace and the presence of Jesus. All they had to do in that storm was see their Savior asleep. And that peace and His presence 
was everything that they needed to calm that worry. So Lord, may we, when we're in a storm, that is due to obedience and being in the center of your will. When things seem to be going wrong and we look at our life and we say, well, you know, as best I can tell, uh, I'm in the will of God. I'm not living in disobedience to His Word. I'm trying to live in keeping with His Word. May we in that moment recognize that He said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Lo, I'm with you always to the end. May we recognize that the presence of Him in the boat, the presence of Him in the boat, the presence of His peace that passes all understanding is all that we need. So God, I pray today if there's somebody here that's in a difficult place, they're going through a crisis, going through a problem. And right now, dear Lord, this sermon is hitting home. I pray that they would recognize the calm presence of Jesus in their life. And I pray, dear Lord, if someone's here today and they don't know Jesus, uh, they look around in that boat, it's in the middle of a storm, and Jesus is not there. And uh, like the disciples later discover, He's walking in the water. He's there by it. And all we have to do is say, as Peter said, Lord, bid me come to you. Come on, Peter. He walked on water. <laughs> For the rest of Peter's life, every time he looked at a glass of water, every time he looked at the Sea of Galilee, he would smile and say, been there, done that. <laughs> Walked on water. Sometimes, Lord, in the crisis and the storms that come in our life, we're getting ready to experience Jesus in a way we've never experienced Him before. May we hang on to that. Lord, we love You. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You come. You come. May never be a moment like this moment. I'm here. If you need somebody to pray with you, to counsel with you.